Amen. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him from their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So far this reading. We're good? There we go. All right. So, this... Um, Last week, Andrew introduced us to a new theme that we've been going through over the next couple of months called Jesus Says, um, and we're going to watch a clip before we do that, that Francis Chan talks about, so he's, he, he has a funny little way of thinking about Jesus Says. So. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon says, is, uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. 
Let's start making disciples. He's got a good way of putting it that I thought, yeah, that's it, isn't it? That's our heart for this theme over the next couple of months, that we wouldn't just know more stuff. We wouldn't just know more of the Gospels, but actually that we'd begin to or continue or to grow in just living it out and in doing it. Um, so last week, Andrew talked about, you know, as our treasure is in heaven. And next week, uh, Glenn is talking about do not worry. And um, this morning in the light of Pentecost, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? And so the question is this morning that I've been thinking about is, does God ask us to do things that we can't do? You know, is God sort of the goofy Turbo Kids leader that goes, oh, I know I'm going to get them on this one. You know how, like Simon says, it starts off real easy. I remember playing it at Turbos and Uncle Roy would always be at the front and you know, it starts off real easy and then all of a sudden it gets really hard. It's like pat your head, rub your tummy sideways. I'm not even going to try and do it because I'm going to fall over. But, you know, pat your head, tummy clockwise, hop on one leg, spin around in a 360 and, like, you know, by the end of time, everyone's just falling over. You know, is that, is that what God does? Is that he's just sort of up the front sort of asking us to do things that we can't do. You know, I think you know, I read this quote this week from Henry Blackaby. He says, Will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? He says, The answer is yes, <laughs> all the time. But here's the thing, here's his insight that I thought is really, really powerful is that it must be that way. It has to be that way for God's glory and kingdom. You see, if we function, According to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to our ability, if we do all this stuff in our own strength, we're the ones that look good. We're the ones that get the glory for it. But if we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, then God gets the glory. I thought, that's it. Yes, God may ask us to do things that we can't do, but he's not sort of up the front laughing at us when we fall over. God's a loving God. He's good and he's gracious and he's there with us, empowering us to do what he wants to do in such a way that he gets the glory. You know, our lives, our lives should be lived in such a way that, they, that it's only explainable by the power of God. Our lives should be lived in such a way that it's only explainable by the power of God. And like Andrew sort of mentioned last week, that, you know, in our Western middle class sort of, you know, society and culture that we live in, we actually, we don't have much need for God often. You know, we, we live our lives day to day and, you know, yeah, things get hard and we, we you know, we pray and, we, you know, there's suffering and that's, that's, you know, definitely we need God then. But, you know, if you think about like the everyday moments, you know, when you're at work, you know, when we're at school, whatever, like in just the each and every day, you know, we don't really need God. Like we can provide for ourselves, we can provide for our family pretty well and we can do everything. But I really believe that when we step into God's call, that we recognize more and more our need for Him. When we step out of our comfort zone, when we live on mission, when we live sacrificially and generously, when we live each day with a desire to sort of move people to follow Jesus. And like when you start doing that, you quickly realize your need for God. And we're going to touch more on that as we go. But like we sort of sang about this morning, that actually the gospel. The good news is that things have changed. 
you know, we often talk about how the cross is sort of the turning point in history, which is definitely true. You know, I was thinking this week that you probably make just as much of an argument for Pentecost being just as, like, just as much of a turning point. That actually when, when God's Spirit comes upon His people to empower them to live His way, it totally changes the world and it totally changes the church. And that's what we want to look at this morning. We're going to sort of go through Acts and look at um, just what did the disciples do? Because in because when we look at, like if you think of it in Simon Says sort of idea, that sort of thinking, that the disciples actually did it. They actually followed what Jesus said. They started living it out, and we're going to explore that. They, you know, and the thing is, they did this so much so that in Acts 11, in Antioch, it says that the people of that city, of that town, they called these people of the church, they called them Christians. That Christians was a foreign term, and yet... People of the world, they saw the church living it out and they go, wow, they're Christians. Like they're following Jesus. They're doing what he said. They're living just like he did. And I thought, you know, that's that's what I want in my life. I want my life to look like the life of Jesus. You know, if you think of Pentecost, you think like, the, the one character I always come back to with Pentecost is Peter. Like, Peter is, like, in the Gospels, he is just, like, a shambles. You know, he's just like, what are you doing, Peter? You know, he's, he's always sort of saying the wrong thing, it seems like. You know, it gets to the Gethsemane, you know, Jesus gets arrested, and Peter, you know, he's followed Jesus for three years, and yet he pulls out the sword and chops the guy's ear off. You know, Jesus is, like, the loving, peaceful kind of guy, and there's Peter chopping a guy's ear off. And then, you know, to make matters worse, he then goes on and denies Jesus three times later that night and day. And then you look after Pentecost. You look post-Pentecost Peter. He is, like, totally transformed. He's the one that's getting up in front of thousands of people. He's preaching, and he's the leader of this rapidly growing church. And so you've got to look at, like, Pentecost as being, like, that's a turning point. There's something changed there. And it was the Holy Spirit... Came. And so what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? And we want to focus in on Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. They're the two words I want to focus on, power and witness. That you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You know, and as I was reading that, I was just reminded that it's, it doesn't come across as conditional. It's not like a maybe or a might. It's like you might receive some power you know, and you might be my witnesses. But Jesus says, no, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Like it is like it's the word of God. That's what Jesus says. And that's, you know, like Andrew sort of said last week, it's not just what Jesus said, it's what Jesus says, that the message is saying to us that we will receive power and we will be his witness. And so the word for power, I sort of looked it up. I'm like, it's cool. The Greek word for power is dynamis. It comes from the word dynamite, which is where we get our word dynamite from. And I thought, that's, that's cool, that God has actually given us dynamite. He's given us power. It, it, the word, the Greek word, it literally, it means the ability to perform. 
That's what it literally means, that God has given us the ability to perform. And to what? To perform? To, to be his witness. That's the context of the verse, that God has given us the ability to perform, the ability to be a witness. A witness is someone who testifies to something, who gives a report, who gives evidence. You know, it's, it's when you've seen something, but you now have a responsibility for it. You have to do something about it. You know, because it's, it's more than a spectator. You know, a, spectator, a spectator sees something and just enjoys it or is entertained by it. But, but a witness sees something and they've got to do something. You know, a witness you know, sees an accident and they've got to give a report on it. You know, a witness has to do something. And, and that's us, isn't it? That we've actually seen the power of God. We've seen the gospel change our lives and change the lives of others. And that we've actually seen God work. And now we have a responsibility then to do something. That's a witness. We're not just spectators. And so as we look through Acts, we're going to look at these words, the power and witness, and look at what the disciples did and how that relates then to us. So if you have your Bibles open, just keep them open to Acts, and we're going to look through the first few chapters and just point a few different things out. The first thing that's really clear of what happens when the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, the first thing that's really clear is that they proclaim the gospel, that they are given the power to speak up and to speak out. You know, look at it, you know, the tongues, of, you know, we all know the story, you know, the tongues of fire come on their head and they're speaking all these different languages. Thousands of people are saved. Like, you cannot explain that without, apart from the power of God. Like, that is the power of God at work. Like, that is completely miraculous, completely powerful. People speaking different languages that they don't know and speaking the good news of God. You know, and in Acts 2 and in Acts 3, we see on two separate occasions, Peter getting up and addressing the crowd. You know, he's preaching to thousands of people. And, I, and like, you remember who Peter was, yeah? Peter's the one that, you know, this is the same guy that Jesus said, you know, get behind me, Satan. Like, those are the sort of things that Peter got caught saying, things that, you know, a bit silly, a bit out of line. And here he is preaching to thousands of people with the power of the Spirit. But, you know, when you actually dig deeper into, like, Pentecost and, and the context of what's happening here, it, get, it gets even more sort of miraculous in my eyes. You see, Pentecost was a Jewish festival. It was, it's not like a date because the Holy Spirit came, but that actually, for hundreds of years, the people of Israel had been celebrating Pentecost. Or in the Old Testament, it's called the Festival of Weeks. And they would celebrate 50 days after the Passover, it was sort of the end of the harvest, and that they would celebrate, they would thank God for his provision and um, just for the harvest. And it was a pilgrim festival, so all the people from all around Israel would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate together. But, you know, by Jesus' time, there's Jews now all, all over the world. And so that's why you've got all these people from all over the world coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. And, and here's the thing, most, so most of the people that Peter is preaching to they're Jews. Most of the people that would have responded, they're, they're in Jerusalem celebrating this thing. They would have heard about Jesus, most, most likely. Like Jesus had been around for three years. They most likely would have heard about what he had done. You know, people were sort of arguing, is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he just another lunatic? Like, you know, so people are already sort of thinking about and deciding who Jesus is. You know, some of them, like Jesus only died a month, a bit over a month earlier. So some of them would have probably been there. Some of them might have even been in the crowd that said crucify him. And yet despite that, 
we read at the end of Acts 2 that 3,000 people respond to Peter, Peter's message. Like, think about that. Most of the people would have made up their mind already about who Jesus was. Most of them would have been, you know, made a decision, would have seen it, would have heard about it, and they've gone, nah, he's not the Messiah. Yet, Peter preaches under the power of the Spirit, and it's a pure work of God that people respond. You know, it says that they were cut to the heart. And, and what Jesus said earlier in John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come to convict of sin, of righteousness and judgment. That actually the Holy Spirit comes upon people who hear the gospel and he convicts. See, our role is not to convict people. That's what the Spirit does. Our role is simply just to witness and to proclaim the gospel. Not just in word, but also in deed. That, that's what we see throughout you know, Acts as well. That the disciples are given power to heal they see signs and wonders take place. We see that in Acts 2. Um, in verse 43, it says, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That the same power that had raised Christ from the dead was alive. It was there. It was active, and it was working through the disciples. And, you know, a lot of... The, I remember, like, some commentators have written about Acts, about Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts are written by the same author, and... The way that they say that, the way that it reads, the way that it writes, is that it's almost like Jesus has never left. That's sort of the narrative of Luke and Acts. It's like, yeah, Jesus sends, but everything just continues and it grows. That the same miracles are being done, the same lives are being changed in the power of the Spirit. You know, and I know, I know in my life I go, well, I don't see miracles happening. Like, I don't see, you know, people's arms being, you know, grown back or lame people walking or anything like that. But, you know, I've been really challenged actually for me to think that actually maybe I just need to go and proclaim the gospel to people, to those who don't believe. I need to get on board with God's mission and just see what happens. Because in the end, the ultimate miracle is that of salvation. The ultimate miracle is of lives being changed. And if I'm really honest, I've actually seen that happen. I've seen lives being changed. And I've seen God's power at work. You know, Paul writes later in, in Corinthians that the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. That actually, the gospel doesn't make sense. It's only through a lens of faith that you look at it and go, yeah, that's, it's coherent and it's consistent and it makes sense of what I believe the world. But like, if you don't have that lens of faith, it doesn't make sense. And so the fact that people do believe is purely a work of God. And so I want to encourage us to just to go out and to proclaim the gospel in word and deed and to do that in faith, to do that trusting that God has given us the power, the ability to perform. He's given us the dynamite. We need to trust that his power, he, he will convict, he will save, and he will work powerfully in our situation, and actually stepping into those situations, that's faith. Faith is stepping into that situation, stepping into that, you know, I'm going to live this out, I'm going to preach, I'm going to share the good news, trusting that actually God's going to work. I might not have all my words sorted, I might not have the best diagram or the best metaphor or anything like that, but I'm going to trust that God's going to work. That's faith. And trusting that, that God is going to be active, that God is going to work powerfully, we might see miracles happen. Actually, sorry, we will see miracles happen. We will see lives changed. We will see people come to faith as we live out God's call on our life. Because Jesus said that the harvest is full, but the workers are few. 
The harvest is full, but the workers are few. I, I really believe that the gospel is good news. That the Christian life is one worth living. That the community of God is attractive. That, you know, and, you know, while the gospel may be foolishness to those who don't believe, I believe that God's power will save. That people will be saved. Like, I, I was talking with the young boys on Friday night. We watched a video and stuff um, in our small group. And I just challenged, like, challenged us to actually change our expectations. Like, to actually change our expectations. You know, I, so often I go into a situation, you know, talking about God or, you know, just mentioning that I go to church or something, and I just expect that people are going to think that you're stupid. Like, think that that's ridiculous. Don't talk to me anymore about this faith stuff. But what if we actually changed our expectations to actually think, you know what, Jesus said the harvest is full. Jesus said that the Spirit has been given us to us, that we have power, and that I'm actually going to trust and believe that actually people will respond. And if it's not this one, it's going to be the next one. And that we actually change our expectations to believe that God is going to work. That actually we would believe that. And that would then change the way that we think and the way that we act. Because that's what we see all through our acts. There's that people by the thousands are responding. The church is growing and multiplying. And, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, they would have just expected it. They would have just expected that when we go out and preach, people are going to say yes. Not because of how good they were. <laughs> you know, we need to be mindful that it's not because of what we do, but it's because of the Spirit's power at work. So I want to challenge you this morning as you go home, as you think about this, that we actually think about changing our expectations around what God has called us to do and actually believe that God is going to work and believe that God has given us the power to do it. The thing is, it's not just proclamation of the gospel that the Acts Church do. What we see as we walk through Acts is that this family, this community starts emerging. And I I really believe that this is just as miraculous, just as spirit-filled. You know, let me read Acts 2.42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then you flip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So if you're following the Acts narrative, that's probably, you know, potentially around 5,000 people. 5,000 people were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to each as he had need. That actually the Holy Spirit empowered these people to live as a community and as a family, just like Jesus said. You know, last week we looked at Mark 10, the rich young ruler. You know, and, and you know, the disciples at the end, they're like, we've left everything to follow you. 
Like, we've done this. We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, and I've seen it, and this is what you get. He says, a hundred times as many brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, um, houses and homes. That's, that's, that's what you get in this age, and in the age to come you get eternal life. So what Jesus actually says to the disciples is that your reward for following me on earth is a church family. It's a hundred times brothers, like that's where you get a hundred more brothers and sisters and stuff that you've left behind. It's a church family. And in the age to come, it's eternal life. And when you look at this, you go, I see why. <laughs> like imagine being in a group of thousands of people and it's just everyone's of one heart and mind. Everyone's giving of themselves. There's no needy people. Like I go, that's what I want to be a part of. You know, it was different to the world. All of a sudden you had people from different backgrounds mixing, different countries and different, you know, genders. You have the Jews and Gentiles, they're beginning to mix. You have rich and poor, slaves and masters together in this community. Women are given a place of significance that wasn't around in their culture. Poverty is eradicated in their community. There's no needy people. And I go, that's a miracle. That is the power of God at work. And look, we all know that community is not easy. We all know that, you know, being a part of church family is not easy. We're all broken. No one is perfect. You know, it's going to hurt sometimes, but we need to believe that actually God has given us the power. God has given us his spirit, which helps us to perform and to live as a family, which gives us the grace and the love and the forgiveness that we need to show to each other. You know, I think it's in the newsletter, there's this sort of benediction of the Holy Spirit that I found on the internet, and it says in there that unity is a work of the Holy Spirit. That actually the Holy Spirit has been given to us to unify us as a family. And you read through the New Testament, and that's what you see. You see the Holy Spirit, you see God's power at work in this, not individuals. It's not just about individuals, but it's about this collective. It's about this church that's going on. And you think about some, you know, some of the classic things of the Spirit. You know, we talk about you know, the fruit of the Spirit. That God has actually given us a Spirit and the Spirit produces fruit in us which actually helps us love one another. Think of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about what I need to do this church family thing well. I need some of those. I need some more of those. I need some more love. I need some more joy. I need some more patience with people. You know, like I said, I, like I've said before, you know, I don't know much about fruit, but I know that's the diet of unity. <laughs> that, that if you want to be united, if we want to be a church family, we need to have the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the thing. We, it's something that, you know... Fruit is produced, not manufactured. Although, maybe not these days, who knows. But, you know, that if we look at fruit, that it's, it's produced, not manufactured. That we can't muster up these things ourselves. You know, I can't make myself more patient or more loving or more joyful or more peaceful. That actually, that's God's spirit at work in us. That we need to pray, we need to ask God to grow these things in us. We need to ask God to make me more patient, make us more joyful. You, know, you think of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, later on, in, you know, we read in 1 Corinthians, the gifts of the Spirit are given. 
and talked about. The whole context of that passage is the body of Christ and love. That is the context of that Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And that's what he talks about. You know, he talks about the one who prophesies. He speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. And later on it says, let all things be done for building up. That all these gifts, that all the things that the Spirit empowers us to do, they're to be done to build us up as a community. They're not given to impress people, you know, on the outside. They're not given to sort of show off, you know, look how spiritual we are. But they're given to build us up. And, you know, I'm not going to sort of go all into what are the gifts of the Spirit and what does that mean for us. But we need to know that actually the point is that God has given us His Spirit to build us up and to encourage us as a family and to allow us to live together well and to do so in a way that's radically different to our world. Because here's the thing, that actually our family, our community, when we do that with the power of the Spirit, it actually becomes part of our witness. It actually becomes a light to the world that people see it and they go, wow. You know, John 13, 35, Jesus says, By your love for one another, people will know you are my disciples. By your love for one another, people will know you are my disciples. That actually, if we, if we love each other, just like Jesus has loved us, that people know and they see it and they go, they must be Jesus' followers. You know, I remember reading in one of my church history books and I, I, t- I took the quote out because, uh, and I've always come back to it, It says this, according to Tertullian, Tertullian was a second century church father. He said that outsiders, they would see how the Christian community work and they would say in amazement, see how they love one another. It was well known that Christians called each other brother and sister and that the bonds between them were stronger than those with non-believing family members. This is like a hundred years, probably a bit more, after Pentecost. And the church community has probably expanded and multiplied and gone all throughout the world at the time. And yet people are still amazed at the community and the love that was amongst them. They were amazed at this church family. People noticed. And my prayer is that that would be us. That actually by our love for one another, people will know that we are his disciples, that the people around us would see. You know, that the way that we interact with each other at Cavell would be a light to the people that come there. The way that we interact at our youth group or in our small group or wherever we're at, that people would then notice it. And here's the thing the only way we can, because everyone's nice in our world, everyone's pretty loving. So to actually love in a way that people notice, it's got to be spirit-empowered. It can't just be, oh, we're nice to each other and we have a good conversation about the footy for a few minutes and then we go home. Like, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be radically different to what the world offers. And the only way that that happens is if it's empowered by the Spirit and we're asking God and we're praying to God that He would work this in us. And I want to encourage us and pray that that would be us. And the other thing that's clear throughout Acts, and this is sort of the last one I wanted to touch on, is that, um, is that the church, the Christians, they suffer and they're persecuted. 
And it happens right at the start in Acts chapter 4, right at the start of the movement. Peter and John have just healed a lame man. Peter's spoken and addressed the whole crowd, and then they get dragged before the, um, the Jewish council. And it says this, Acts 4 verse 5, On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem. And, they, and when they had set them, that's Peter and John, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? And then I love this line. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he explains what they did. You know, right at the start of this movement, you know, the Holy Spirit has come, the church is sort of starting to grow and advance, they're preaching the gospel, and right at the start, people are trying to quench it. People are trying to quiet them and to bring them down. And, and that, that's actually the context of most of the New Testament. Most of what we read in the New Testament is written to Christians who are suffering and being persecuted for their faith. Their lives are at risk. And, you know, while you know, our situation is very different to that, we still live in a culture that tries to keep us quiet. And we've probably seen that over the last few weeks with what's going on in the media and whatnot. And that's exactly what they tried to do to Peter and John. In, in verse 18, it says, um, So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Like, you can do what you want, but just don't speak or talk about Jesus. And I think that's often the way that we can feel in our lives, that, you know, do whatever you want, do your church stuff, that's fine, do your charity, but just don't talk about Jesus. But what I love is that disciples don't do that. They don't keep quiet about Jesus. Instead, in fact, they are given power to witness in that situation. You know, in chapter 4, verse 13, it says that when, when the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That they were told to keep quiet, but they spoke up with a boldness and a courage that was supernatural. They were unqualified. They, didn't, they hadn't gone through all the courses. They hadn't been to their Bible college degree. They haven't learnt everything perfectly. They're unqualified, yet they're speaking up with the power, with the power of the Spirit. And people recognize Jesus through them. And so I just think that, that is, that's got to be us that we would actually speak up with boldness and courage, even though our world has told us to be quiet. You know, what I love is that Peter and John, they go back to the community after that. Um, and they pray. And um, you can read that in sort of verse 23 onwards. But I just want to read verse 29. It says, Now the Lord, now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I just thought that's, that's an insightful prayer because here's the thing, they didn't pray for their persecution to stop. They just asked for the courage to keep speaking. They didn't say, hey, God, look at this. <laughs> they told us to keep quiet and they don't like us. And they didn't, 
they just prayed for the courage just to keep speaking up. And they prayed that God would then work powerfully alongside that with the signs and wonders. And, and you know, and that's what I want us to be praying for. That's what I want us to be, you know, focused on. That actually we believe that the Holy Spirit has enabled us and empowered us to speak with courage, to speak with boldness, not about issues or not about different things, but that would be there to proclaim who Jesus is. You know, may we not lose sight of our role to witness in our culture. Because this is what God has empowered us for, that he's given us power to witness. You know, and that God has not given us his spirit so that we can win arguments or that we can debate hot topics or, or anything like that. Not that these things aren't important. I don't want to say that. that they are important and we need to fight for free speech and whatnot and, we, you know, we can do that. But... What's way more important is that we need to witness to Jesus and his saving power and to the gospel that he alone can save. You know, and I was thinking about that for me this week. Is that actually a high priority in my life, to share the good news of Jesus and to witness to that? Is that actually a high priority? You know, do I put in as much energy and effort into that as I do with other things? And not even like, you know, like I'm talking like even just church things. Do you know, how many articles do I read about sharing the gospel? Or how many, you know, times do we talk about in our life groups? Or do we practice it? Or do we train for it? Or are we more focused on running a ministry? Or, you know, meeting together? Or running a church service? Or whatever it is. Like, I think I've got to assess that in my life, and I think we need to assess that in our lives, that actually, is this a high priority for us? Because I believe it's the highest priority for God, that actually He's empowered us to witness. So maybe we need to readjust our priorities. Because in the end, Jesus says, you know, what good is it to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? And we often talk about this with our schoolies teams, and we say, you know, because in the... Because we say to them, you know, what good is it if we, if we go to Africa or whatever, we do some great work and, um, you know, we help some people and we set them up and we you know, give them food and all that sort of Like, what good is it if they, if they gain all that but yet forfeit their soul? Like, what good is it if, if we have a perfect democracy where everyone has free speech and all that sort of stuff and that's great? What good is it if we have that but yet everyone, majority of people forfeit their soul because they don't know Jesus? Like, we need to ask ourselves, like, you know, what good is it? Like, the gospel has to be a high priority for us. And that, I really believe, as a church, we need to hear this. You know, as, as we mentioned last few weeks, we got some data from the NCLS that we're working through and stuff, and we got sent through this week sort of the, um, the more detailed one. And I was looking through it. I just had a quick glance through it. And they had this little, um, little circle diagram where they, they um, have nine key values that they think churches should be on about, and they, they measure churches on that. And so the top one for us was service, caring for each other, doing things in the community, helping out, you know, that sort of stuff, which is awesome. And I think as a church, we do that really well. And what the lowest one was? Faith sharing. That was the lowest of the nine. 
And so while that's, for me, it was confronting, I also go, like, it's just a simple shift. Like, we're already out there in the world. We're already serving people and loving people and, and doing great things in the community. And I just go, we just need the courage just to share the faith. We just need the boldness just to speak up. And yes, we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know how people are going to respond. We don't know if they're going to shut the door in our face or if they're going to sort of not want to hang out with us anymore. But we need to trust that God's at work and that he's going to save. And we need to step into it. Even if we don't know if we've got it in us. Even if we don't know, I don't know the right words or I'm going to say something wrong. That in the end, it's a matter of courage. It's a matter of boldness. A matter of trust and faith, knowing that God has given us what we need to witness to those around us. And in the end, the word for witness, the Greek word for witness is martus. That's where we get the word martyr from. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to go out there and die for our faith or anything like that. And I'm not going to go through the cliche of, you know, you know, will you say you believe in Jesus when there's a gun pointed to your head or anything like that. Like, there's serious situations that people are in like that. But, you know, I really thought for us, the real question is, are we willing to die to ourselves? Take up our cross and follow Jesus. That's, I think that's the crux of it. That Actually, are we willing just to lay, us, lay aside our own plans, our own desires, our own dreams, our own comfort, our own convenience? Are we willing to lay aside those things and follow the call of Christ to witness to those around us, knowing that he has empowered us to do so? And that we'll do that for his glory, for his kingdom. Not that we would look good, not that they'll go, oh, look, Joel's brought another Christian to the kingdom. Like, not that they'll go, oh, look how great One Hope is. They're reaching out. Like, that's not what it's about. That this has to be motivated by a desire to glorify God and to recognize that He is the King and ruler of all. It's not about us, but it's all about God. And so I want to pray. I want to pray for us to finish off. And I probably talked a lot. Sorry. But I want to pray for a couple of things. I want to pray for us that we would have the courage to step out. I want to pray for us that we would have the ability to surrender. I want to pray for us that we would have more love. And I want to pray for us that we have the boldness to share the gospel. Those are four things. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just, I'm going to go through the list again. I just want you to shoot your hand up. If you go, yeah, I need to, I want more courage to step out, pray for me for that, just put your hand up. We're not going to close our eyes or anything like we're a community, we're a family, we can be honest with each other, all right? So if that's you, just put out your hand, put it down, and then we're just going to pray for everyone. Is that cool? Very simple. So if you go, yeah, I need the courage to, I want to pray for the courage to step out. If that's you, chuck your hand up. If you go, I need to pray for the ability to surrender, that's you, and uh, my hand's going up for everyone. (laughs) If you go, I need to pray for just more love for people and for those around me, and if you go, I want to pray for the boldness to share the gospel. If that's you. All right. you, didn't, you didn't have to put your hand up for all of them. I'm just saying that. But now that you have, realize that you're asking God to do that in your life. And here's the thing. I'm expecting him to do it in your life. That actually, God will give you these things. He will give you the courage and the love. Is that cool? So let's pray. So God, we, just, um, we thank you for your spirit and your power that you have given us. And God, I want to pray for us as a church. 
and for us as individuals, that you'd give us the courage to step out and to follow your call. God, that you'd give us the ability to surrender, to lay down our own dreams and desires and our own plans and comforts and, and to follow you. God, I want to pray that you'd give us more of your love, that you'd help us to love each other as a family, give us joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. And God, that you'd give us the courage and the boldness to share your gospel. And God, we want to pray in expectation, in anticipation that you will hear us and that you will answer us, that your spirit will empower us to live your call for your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the music team up and we're going to stand and sing and once again a bit of a classic song. There's this one line in the chorus that says, Come, live in me, all my life, take over. And my prayer is that that would be our prayer, that that would be our prayer, that we would say, yeah, God, come, take over, all of my life, take over. And that we would actually live with the Spirit's power and the Spirit's call and guide on our lives. Amen? So I want to stand and sing.